Welcome to Cinema Talk, the official podcast of the UW Cinematheque and the Wisconsin Film Festival. I'm Jim Healy, Director of Programming. We are continuing our discussions with filmmakers whose work is featured in the 2021 edition of the Wisconsin Film Festival, and on this episode of Cinema Talk, I speak with Evgeny Ruman, director, editor, and co-screenwriter of the Israeli feature film Golden Voices. Set in 1990, Golden Voices introduces us to Victor and Raya Frankel as they arrive in Israel along with a mass of other Jewish immigrants from the crumbling Soviet Union. Back in the USSR, Victor and Raya were the most in-demand dubbers of international cinema, sometimes providing their voices to dozens of characters in a single movie. Now, the 60-somethings are struggling to learn Hebrew and having equal difficulty in finding suitable work in their new homeland. While Victor secures them a low-paying gig dubbing bootleg videos for the exploding Russian-speaking immigrant market, Raya gets a more lucrative job using her native tongue as a phone sex worker, a job she keeps secret from her husband to protect their increasingly rocky marriage. Golden Voices is a rare find, a romantic comedy that finds a rich, warm supply of often absurd situational humor in the lives of two film workers who are not superstar performers or directors. Victor and Raya eventually use clout from their association with Federico Fellini to bring the maestro's little-seen final feature, The Voice of the Moon, to Israeli audiences. The cinephile couple's success in importing Fellini is shown to be more a personal triumph than a professional or financial one, reminding us that Golden Voices is an affectionate salute to the uplifting power of cinema and the countless number of working-class heroes who make the magic possible. Golden Voices is Evgeny Ruman's fifth feature film. Born himself in the Soviet Union in 1979, he immigrated to Israel in 1990, later graduated from the Tel Aviv University, where he studied film and television, and began making short films in 2004. He spoke with me from his home in Israel. As usual, we recommend viewing Golden Voices before listening to our spoiler-filled conversation. Thanks for joining us, Evgeny Ruman. Hello. Good evening. Good day. Good, uh, good day. <laughs> yeah, it's mid-afternoon here, evening where you are, I'm sure. Um, I assumed after watching Golden Voices the first time that Victor and Raya were real people, but now I'm not so sure. Are they complete fiction, or were they real voiceover artists? Are they a composite? Well, you know, they part fiction, part true. And I myself already not sure which part is that. But yeah, you know, I mean, it was a real person, only Victor, not Raya. A person that he used to be a dubbing artist in the Soviet Union. And he came to Israel and he did some other things. And uh, my co-writer, Ziv Berkovich, he met him. He met him a while ago, a few years ago. And he told me about this guy. He told me about this strange, interesting guy he met with this very unique connection to cinema. And uh, that was one of the beginnings of the story, I guess. And the other was desire to tell the, the story of, a, of our parents, of our parents individually, but also more commonly the story of our generation. 
people of her age, of her certain social status, that uh, had to reinvent themselves in a new country, in Israel in the beginning of the 90s. Myself and Ziv came from such kind of families. We had a lot of common points, although our parents are different people, but there was a lot of, a lot of common points and threads between them. So these real people, all these real people eventually combined into these fictional characters. Well, I think it makes the film that much more of an accomplishment because they're such vivid and real characters um, that, uh, that that you and your and your co-writer have created. Uh, can you, uh, were your parents, did they come over in 1990, come to Israel in 1990? Yes. Yes, we came in 1990. Can I you was, talk? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How old were you? I was a kid. I was 10, 11 years old. Can you talk about this time in history and, and what happened uh, with, the, with the Russian Jews in 1990 that, uh, that, that made for this huge uh, immigration? Yeah, basically, the, the Soviet Jews couldn't leave the Soviet Union. I mean, not only Jews, Soviet, Soviet people couldn't really leave Soviet Union until the perestroika in the 80s, and then the gates were opened. To Jews, to Israel, not only to Israel, also to U.S. and to Germany, but mostly, mostly to Israel. And the big wave of immigration started. It, I mean, 1990, 91, 92. It was the peak. It was the peak. I mean, eventually, one million Soviet Jews came to Israel during the 90s. But 1990 was the, the beginning. It was the beginning, not. It was already, you know, it was ascending. Uh, it, it began earlier, but 1990 was the first year where a big amount came. And suddenly, you know, planes were landing one after another. I mean, I remember as a kid, mm. this, we were in the airport and planes were landing one more and one more. I don't know, it was like five planes that came at night or something like that. Mm. The immigrants, we're of course. Were your parents uh, in the film industry? No. No. My parents are engineers. They don't have connections to film industry or to arts or showbiz or whatever. No. They don't. They like when, movies, like most people, <laughs> I guess. Bef before you came to Israel, had you already developed your love of cinema or was, uh, was that something that happened after you arrived? No, it happened uh, later. It happened later when I was <clears throat> in high school, I guess. It, it began. But before, I wasn't particularly interested in cinema. I mean, I liked watching movies, but I never thought of it. Thought it would become more than that, you know. What changed all that? Was it one specific film? Uh, yeah. Actually, it was. I, I watched by, by chance, I mean. I didn't intend to watch it. it. wasn't TV or something. I saw Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick. I was like 16 or something like that. I was shocked, to be honest. I was shocked because I never seen a film like that. It wasn't like bad, good. It wasn't even, you know, I wasn't thinking in these terms. It was just 
another kind of creation absolutely from you know everything I saw before which was like you know more mainstream movies of of any kind so yeah I, I think I remember this film as the point where I started developing some special interest for cinema and films it created a whole world and literally opened up a whole world to you as well yeah yeah absolutely a lot of worlds but yeah one big world containing all of these <laughs> different <laughs> universes because so many so much of the film deals with uh dubbing and voiceover in in israeli cinemas are most films shown in their original language with subtitles or is there a market for films dubbed into hebrew or yiddish or or russian or other languages in Israel, films are subtitled, but actually, since a lot of Soviet Russians, Russian-speaking people came to Israel, it, the, the dubbing to Russian eventually was developed. It right. was more into you know the new millennium after and after the nineties and two thousands and later, and all the cable TV and uh, they started dubbing films. It's not in cinema, but on TV. Satellite TV and cable TV they started dubbing because, you know, it's a lot of audience. There's like yeah. over one million Russian speakers in Israel, which is like 10 million, 9 million, 8 million, depends how you count. So it's a big chunk right. of customers. So yeah, eventually Victor uh, and Raya could find, uh, couldn't find some job here. I always thought the tradition of Russian dubbing into whatever language was that, um, when, I, when I've heard it, is that you actually hear the original soundtrack in the background a little bit, and the Russian dubbers usually talk over it. But I don't know if that, if that was always the tradition, and if that was the tradition that Victor and Raya were coming from, or if they were actually literally trying to match their words to the lips of, uh, of the characters. It depends. Actually, in Soviet Union and Russia, they had both. They had both. Sometimes it was completely over, overdubbed, and sometimes it was dubbed over with the original track. Where right. I'm not even sure what, what was the logic. I think you know it was some technical technicalities or bureaucracy or whatever. But right. they both existed simultaneously. Yeah, one might have been able to been finished quicker than the other and that, and that was just maybe the reason for doing it that way i suppose maybe um that comes into play in your film <laughs> when they're talking about what it actually takes to or at least what victor and raya are used to 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 having to to dub a film you know it takes at least a day just to do the dubbing and you have to approve the script and the translation and and all of that comes into play for them professionally but all of that goes out the window when they enter the world of black market VHS tapes. Is there still a is there still a black market for Russian dub movies, either on DVD or in other in other worlds, or uh, is it is that something that's just kind of uh, evaporated with? Uh, with no, I, th I think it still exists. I mean, now it's in torrents and uh, like uh, it's it's not in, it's so right. virtual, <laughs> but in Russia, right. in Russia, in Russian speaking countries. They are used mostly to dub movies still. It's a tradition, like, you know, like Germans, a lot of countries. 
they they still doubt. So I think uh, the piracy still exists, of course. Sure. So yeah, it's just you know, just change the format, but the idea is still <laughs> is still there. Now it's all moved onto the computers. Uh, you're your own editor on this movie uh, and on some of the other work you've directed. What, what advantages does this provide you? I'm not sure it did, to be honest. It just sometimes, sometimes it's just more convenient. Is it is it a preference uh, or is it, no, or is it some, some? No, no. Actually, I don't. It wasn't my first choice. I had I had trouble finding Russian speaker editor. I mean, there exists, but you know, just for this specific movie, I didn't yeah. intend to do it. Somehow, there was somebody who was supposed to and couldn't. You know, it's, it's all began to seem too difficult. And I said, okay, listen, I, I will edit it myself because you know, I'm an I, I'm an editor. I was an editor. I've done some and job as an editor. I have pretty pretty good experience editing stuff. And this film, so, you know, I have Ziv as my, his, as my companion here, so I could all the time, you know, show him the cuts and scenes and talk to him. So I felt um, it's not like I'm, I'm going to be completely alone on this. Right. Uh, so the, that was that was what I was, wanted to ask next is, Ziv Berkovich, who you you mentioned, you you've already said you've worked you worked closely with him, showing him the the cut, and he was your not only your co-writer but also the cinematographer, right? Yeah, he's a cinematographer. That's what he does. Yeah, but on this particular film, uh, since you created the world together and these characters, did your roles overlap when you were directing and he was lighting and and doing his role as as DOP? Not really, no. I mean, I consult Ziv. If you wor- if we work together on a script, he's not involved. I still consult him, you know. Right. Not only as a DOP, but as a as an artist, whose opinion I appreciate. Nice. And it was same here. No, it didn't overlap. You know, we we talked as we talk usually on any project we, we collaborate. Right. Um, the movie has very nicely, very nicely composed images. Um, beautiful use of the cinemascope frame. Until not recently, there it wasn't typical for comedies to be in that widescreen format. I think a lot of films are being shot in that aspect ratio now. But uh, why, why did you choose that one for this particular film? Is it just because it's something you're both comfortable with? Or was there a specific... Uh, visual uh, reason for the story that you wanted to use uh, CinemaScope? Well, I, I guess we just felt it's a film also about cinema, you know? So go as big as you can? Yeah, so we wanted the cinematic format, not not the TV format. <laughs> a yeah. format which is, when you see, you associate it uh, with people of certain age, <laughs> we associate it with cinema. With films, with big screens. That was, right. I think, the reason, the first reason behind it, yeah. 
I think uh, uh, Fellini only worked in it once or twice. I know Satyricon and and La Dolce Vita are Cinemascope, but I I don't think he. Uh, and I think he went back to one eight five in the seventies and and did it that way. Yeah, um, his late movies are. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we. I mean, you know, cinema is so much about myth, myths more than <laughs> actual facts. I guess. Yeah. Sometimes or always. So, this yeah. is. Uh, this makes for a nice. Uh, the story makes for a nice, believable myth about cinema. <laughs> you know, with with the lives of these two people. Um, back to back to editing. To someone who's worked on thrillers and. And family movies, among other genres, is—is is there a difference in the way uh, you cut a comedy? Um, it's a good question. I guess I'm interested to know if you really—if you really aim for cutting, uh, making cuts, or or moving the editing around, trying to get a laugh, uh, uh, or or a reaction out of a out of a cinema audience. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But you know, it's it's, it's very it depends on the type of a comedy. When you know, when you expect or you hope there will be a place where people will laugh out loud, maybe sometimes you leave a little bit more space before somebody talks. I don't know because <laughs> I say, okay, people will <laughs> laugh here. I will give them two seconds. Right. It's not. <laughs> The other guy can wait a second before he speaks because otherwise nobody will hear what he says because everybody's <laughs> laughing from the joke. Yes, sometimes you consider it, yeah. It's, you know, small, small details. But, but yeah, of course, if you, I mean, if you're reading a, a film or a scene that's supposed to be funny, you aim for this comic timing. But to be honest, it's most, you know, Sometimes it's more in the, in the direction, it's in the materials more than the editing. The editing, you know, we try to preserve or... It's very hard to create something that wasn't filmed in editing. So probably impossible. I mean, editing can do magical things and amazing and turns things over. But, you know, if it wasn't funny <laughs> when it was shot, Probably won't become funny when it's edited. Right. Nothing will really help. Well, you talked about directing and, and your actors, but was casting your two leads difficult? Uh, Maria Belkin and Vladimir Friedman. Well, Vladimir wasn't difficult because I wrote the, the part for him, keeping him in mind. So that was easy. And Maria, it was easier than I expected. I thought it will be very, very hard for me to find this particular typecast I'm looking for, which is also supposed to be a very good actress, not only a typecast. I was pretty sure I'll have to go to Russia to look for some Russian actress and some theaters and stuff. But I found Maria, whom I didn't know before, because she hardly played hardly did any cinema or TV. She did some theater, but I haven't seen her in the theater as well. So she's actually her her day job is is a dubbing artist. That's what she does. Oh. 
uh, does she dub films in other languages or does she do an- animation or, or I guess no, everything? No, no, she, she dubs what, what I told you, but this, yeah. this, this market for Russian dub movies in Israel appeared eventually. That's what she does for the past like 20 or 15 years. She's, she's a dubbing artist and dubbing director for TV in Russian yeah. for TV movies. So she knows uh, she knows the job. Perfect <laughs> pretty, casting. Pretty well, yeah. But she's also a wonderful performer too. So such yeah, a range. But, but she came pretty early in the in the in the searching. So I really felt very very lucky to find her. It was exactly what I imagined, you know, visually and the way she speaks. You know, really shows. Right. All I could hope for, <laughs> and more. I wanted to get back to Fellini and 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 figure out uh, why Fellini was it just a matter of nineteen ninety was kind of the beginning of this era, but an end of an end of an era for Fellini. I mean, there's 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 so much so much in the film that ties that goes back to him and 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 connects to him. Uh, I imagine he's an important filmmaker for you. Well, he is, but also you know I try to be. To be honest with the people who are in the films, and Soviet people who loved cinema, we didn't have access to everybody. We had access to certain directors and certain films, and Fellini was one of them, for whatever reason. But you, if you wanted to watch a Fellini movie in Soviet Union, you could. Maybe not all of them, but some of them for sure. And for a lot of Soviet, you know, movie fans, cinephiles, Fellini was the god. Once again, also because he was accessible, you know, right. or more accessible than a lot of other Western directors. Right. So for me, it was very natural that Victor will admire Fellini. He will admire Fellini and, you know, and he could met Fellini at the Moscow Film Festival which he indeed attended and won in 63 with eight and a half, you know, that happened. And, and yeah, and you know, for me, he's you know, one of the greatest, of course, directors ever. So it all combined. It, it was, it, it wasn't even a question. I don't even remember ever questioning Who's, with go- who's gonna be this director, Victor and Ryan Myers? It was obvious. Some right. of it was obvious to the Fellini. It was never gonna be Kubrick, I guess. <laughs> well, his films, might, I don't think, maybe, maybe Clockwork Orange didn't get shown in the Soviet Union. I'm, it's no way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any. Spartacus was shown in the Soviet Union, actually. Yeah. The well, only one. I- Yes, Spartacus was. Yes, that gets referenced in the film, actually, right? That he's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, yeah, he, yeah he's... Victor dubbed Kirk Douglas for that yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it also ties in very nicely because it's this moment where all these immigrants are coming to Israel, and it's also the time when Fellini is trying very hard to get his last film released around the world. Uh, as you know, I, I mentioned we're... We're showing both films as a double feature in our festival. 
So uh, it's a chance for probably most people who see it through our festival will be seeing it for the first time because it never got a theatrical release in the U.S. I was very lucky to be have been able to see it. There was a uh, the Cinecittà, the Istituto Luce, put on a tour of uh, all of Fellini's films two years after he died, I think in 1995, all in brand new prints. And in Chicago at the Art Institute, they showed them all. And that was the only time I was able to see um, Voices of the Moon, Voice of the Moon. And uh, now it's it's starting to come out here on, you know, on home video formats. And but it's uh, it's it's still a very, very hard film to see. What what do you think of it? I mean, uh, you know, it's probably not one of his best films, to be honest. Sure. And uh, I mean, Fellini said, I think he said it in the 80s already, he said, my, my, my audience is dead. So what? Uh, <laughs> I will spot of it is a film he he makes for for a dead audience. You know, <laughs> he didn't care. I think about believing anymore because he, I, I think he meant it. You know, I think he yeah. meant it. And uh, I thought of his uh, phrase. You know, I think that's what Victor Victor probably realized in a way that this audience is dead or dying or is disappearing as a mass. Yeah. You know, from now on, it's art house. Right. Fellini wasn't and, and always art house, you know. No. Not at all. No, I, uh, I think uh, La Dolce Vita was in, in, in the U.S. was in the top 10 uh, money makers the year it was released. So, yeah, you know, among all films. But so. Victor realized that that era is over. That's it. Yeah. He's working in this, you know, VHS thing, and he sees what films people want to watch. Right. And it's not Fellini. And his Voices of the Moon, I think, you know, I think he's, you know, it's not in the movie, <laughs> but I think he's, yeah. he's a bit sad when he's watching this film. Because he understands that's it, that's like, uh, it's the fadeaway of this era. Of this director of, of and of his life in a way, as a dubbing artist who admires certain kind of cinema. So it's pretty sad. It's a sad movie, I guess. In this sense. But they have each other at the end, and for a moment, yeah, they do. It's very warming. Yeah, for a moment. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think um, true to history, uh, as you say. Victor realizes it, and the theater owner realizes it. It was it was not a movie that was uh, widely seen. No. Um, my my feeling about it is that it's it you know, if, if it, 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 it's it's almost um, maybe a, a glimpse at the afterlife, or certainly of a dream life. I mean, it's and 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 this was pretty consistent for him, I think, in his last you know half dozen films or so. They just play like. Uh, like watching a dream, you know. There's, there's, there's no real kind of yeah. logic to it. It just, it, and, and it's all very, it's very stylized, and all takes place on these sets, and 
it's very people kind of characters kind of move in and out and it's all very it's all very dreamlike and there's something there's something kind of wonderful about that but uh, maybe it uh maybe it goes on a little bit too long for <laughs> for some of his films um uh, can you uh, tell us uh I, I know the film was originally screened in 2019 were you able to show golden voices in in some cinemas or uh has it been strictly uh, uh online uh for you with this movie well it began its road in the world in cinemas but it wasn't too long because of covid 19. i mean it, it showed in some film festivals but just as it began the big you know wave of festivals and screenings etc unfortunately it stopped since then you know so it was mostly online it was released in some countries lately australia in japan i mean in theaters not not uh, the audience stuff they had some some theatrical release and we hope for u.s release later this year if you know, if the situation allows and the distribution company will take the risk. But okay. that's, that's the plan. Yeah, so I so that's that's been working on and then the hope will be that it actually gets shown in, in Yeah, cinemas. because you know, in Israel it still hasn't been released and we we're still waiting. We didn't want to release it in Israel. Online also because there's no a platform which is suitable for it. We don't have like Netflix and local stuff. So the decision was to wait. And you know, it's, it's pretty tough because the film is already, as you said, it's, it's dated to 2019. So it's like two years has passed. And well, it's, it's weird. It's a weird situation, but you know, it's weird for everybody. <laughs> cinema or not cinema. It's been a weird couple of years, yeah. Well, I, I watched it two years after it was first screen it holds up very well and i'm sure there's quite a quite a bit of life left in it i wish you all the best with it and thank you so much for talking with us today too thank you thank you for hosting me it was a pleasure congratulations 